This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Please grab a seat, and I want to add to what Ethan said earlier. If today is your first time with us, we are thrilled that you're here. And I want you to know that you really do matter to us as a church. We're excited to have you hanging out with us. And also, what you can know if you came to C3 today for the first time is you are an above-average person because you picked the best church in the world to check out. So kudos to you. We're glad that you're here. But the people around you, sitting around you, are pretty incredible. We're in a series going verse by verse through the book of James. And part of the reason we're doing that is James really deals with the idea of faith and how to practically live our faith. Because when life gets challenging, it's not enough to just know what you believe. You need to know how to believe it. I need to know how to believe it. And we need to know what does faith look like, not just in church or not just in a moment of crisis where I feel like I need something from God, but what does faith look like day by day? And this morning, we've hit an interesting interesting few verses. Have you ever ordered something because the advertising was spot on? You saw the commercial of one of our kids when they were younger. I I won't call any names, but uh, when Nate was younger, he he had a a really cool robe he'd wear with these slippers, and he'd he'd maybe checking out TV, and he looked like he belonged in a library somewhere, maybe with a pipe. But he would would see a commercial, and he would come to Angie, and he'd say, Mom, here's the number. I wrote it down. If you order this right now, you not only get this spatula, but they'll send you another one for free. Like, whatever the commercial was grabbed his little mind when he was five or six years old. Have you ever ordered something because the advertising was so compelling, and before you saw the commercial, that item was not even on your radar? But you see the commercial, it's like, I got to have that. My, My life would be better if I got that. And then you got it. A couple years ago, we ordered online... Without ever seeing it, we ordered a couch. And and this was back when it took like eight years to get things. Remember that? It's still a little bit slow, but we're better. But it it took months we're waiting on this couch. That bad boy came in and was unpacked in our family room, and it sat about two and a half inches off the floor. We didn't read the fine print. We didn't think, hey, check out the measurements. I mean, we ended up having to send it back, pay a restocking fee. I, I don't know if you've ever dealt with anything like that. The fine print matters. And when we ignore the fine print, that's when we discover even more that it matters more than the the fancy commercials or the cool pictures. It doesn't matter how good the picture is. It's all about the fine print. And today, for some of you, you're going to be hit with a somewhat staggering reality. Because for a lot of people, maybe this is you, maybe not, but for a lot of people, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our faith, the advertising got us. A home in heaven after this life, sins forgiven, God, the power of God living inside you to bless you. We we bought into the advertising without ever reading the fine print. But God does not hide details in fine print. It's not fine print at all. It's just as big as all the other print. We just miss it because often we don't read this. We don't spend time with God each day, and so there's some things that we miss. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is going to tackle the issue today of how 
how is it that I can truly, actually, really be saved? Like, what's required to really know God, to begin a, a personal relationship with God? To know that in this life, God's got me, God's with me, God's in me. To know for sure that after this life, I've got that home in heaven. What does it look like? How do you make sure you're really a Christ follower? That you've actually begun a relationship with Jesus that's real? And here's why that question matters. We all know people that say, I believe in God but their lives look nothing like that. Man, I, I believe in God. But they live, think, act, have relationships, deal with work life just like people that don't. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, family language, Family language. Throughout the book of James, you'll notice if you've been with us for the past few weeks, over and over again, brothers and sisters, this is an idea that he's speaking to people that are Christ followers or people that are at least familiar with the teachings of Christ. And he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, this this is the family of God. This is a family talk. This is not, hey, if you don't know Jesus, you should live like you do, think like you do, act like you do. No, no, no. He's speaking to people that are part of the family, and he's giving sort of a, a warning. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? If someone says, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, but their life doesn't really show it, are they? I believe in God, but nothing in their life looks like they do. Does just saying or thinking I believe in God, make you a Christ follower? Or does it take more than that? He continues, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. There's a need. You see it clearly. And you say to the person who has the need, I'm praying for you. I hope things go well. Hope you find the clothes you need and the food you need. And you do nothing else. What good is that? I think in a lot of ways, in our Western culturalized idea of church. We've become great at telling people we'll pray for them while often missing the opportunity to be the answer to the prayers they're praying. We're great at saying, I got you. I'll pray for you. But what if God is calling us as a church? What if God is calling us as followers of Jesus to actually answer prayers that people are praying, to be the action, to do something about the need? James is saying, in the same way, having Having Christian words or Christian thoughts without obedience, without actually showing anything for it, he he calls it death. And if you grew up in church, you might say, hang on, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Aren't we saved just by faith alone? Because Ephesians chapter 2, it says right here, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Absolutely. But, but we hang out on verse 8 and 9, and we totally forget off in verse 10, the very next verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, the Holy Spirit of God through James is saying, if you have authentic faith, it's more than just intellectually believing something. There's going to be some evidence of it in your life. There's going to be some transformation that takes place. There's going to be some changes that take place. And listen, that's, that's not shocking to us. Even if you're not a Christ follower, the very idea that somebody could meet God in a personal way, it doesn't surprise you that that should mean their life has somehow changed. James says that, but then, but then Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, it's all about faith. So you have to ask the question, what is faith? If we're saved through faith and that alone, what is faith? Faith actually, it's very simple. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. Faith has nothing to do with believing all the right stuff with hanging your hat on the peg that I, I've got this down. I believe the right stuff. I go to church sometimes. I listen to the Bible. Be preached sometimes. I, I read the Bible sometimes. I, I believe in God. Faith has nothing to do with just intellectually believing. Faith is trusting God or believing God enough to do what he actually says. Because here's the reality. What I actually believe, I do. If you deeply believe something, you act on what you say you believe. It is impossible to say, I believe something, and not do anything about it. Verse 9, not by works, in Ephesians 5. He's, he's talking about Old Testament law. He's saying it's impossible to have enough religion or do enough religion to, to be made right with God. You, you, you can't do that. I can't do that. But when James is speaking about faith in this text, he's talking about just an intellectual belief. You believe in God, but your lifestyle doesn't reveal that. Your actions don't reveal that. If you were being tried, if you were on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, I believe. If what you believe does not affect how you live, if, if what I believe does not affect how I live, do I really believe it? He's speaking to those who have convinced themselves that they're okay with God, and they know God, and they have a relationship with God, and they're going to heaven after this life because they, they believe in God. But that belief hasn't changed how they live or how they think. And if that's all you've got, if that's all I've got, this passage says we're dead. We're dead spiritually. When the Holy Spirit speaks through James here about works. He, he's speaking about obedience. He's speaking about good deeds. He's not talking about Old Testament law. He's not talking about keeping a list of rules. He's not talking about rituals that you and I have to be a part of or we're not okay. No, he's talking about simply obeying God and doing good things. So in this text, faith is intellectual belief. Works is obedience. And that's how he separates them. And James jumps into this question, what does it really take to be saved? To be a Christ follower. Because if you're just believing intellectually, you're spiritually dead. So what is it? How do we do it then? 
verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There's almost some sarcasm in the text here. You believe there's one God, good. The demons believe that. The devil believes that. You believe in God, so does the devil. So do demons. And they shudder. It literally means to tremble. If that's all you've got, you have the same faith as a demon. Satan and the demons believe there's one God. Satan and the demons believe God created the world. Satan and the demons believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Satan and the demons believe Jesus was crucified, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Does believing all of that make you a Christ follower? Because Satan and the demons believe all of that. In fact, I'll go further. Satan and demons believe that Jesus walked on water. Satan and demons believe that Judah, I mean Jonah was swallowed by a well. Satan and demons believe that God's standard for marriage laid out in the Scripture is one man and one woman for life. Satan and demons believe that God created two genders, male and female, because he says that early in the Old Testament. So if faith is just believing all the right things about God and who he is, do Satan and demons believe more of the Bible than you do? Because if all I have is believing in God and believing the right stuff about Him, but not in a way that impacts my life, I believe in God, I believe the stuff about Him, but the stuff the Bible says I don't agree with, I'm going to be God. I'm going to decide for myself. If all we've got is just I believe in God, you have the perfect qualifications not to be a Christ follower, but to be a demon. Could it be? And have you ever asked yourself the question in my life, do, do I have authentic faith, trusting God enough to do what he says? Or is my spiritual life just a level of, same level of faith as a demon? Or maybe not even quite. Some of you, you may not even believe parts of the Bible that demons actually believe. You, your faith may be below that. The struggle for demons, they were angels. They were around God. They knew God. They spent a long time worshiping God, created by God. And then Satan decided, I'm going to overthrow God. I want to be in charge. And one-third of the angels lined up with him. And God threw them out of heaven. And that's how they became demons. They had the same struggle that Adam and Eve had in the garden. We want to know all things. We're going to eat this fruit because we want to be like God. Same struggle you and I have. We want to be God for our own lives. We don't want some old God or some ancient book telling us how to do our finances and bring the first 10% to the local church. We don't want some old God or some ancient book, ancient book telling us how to enjoy or practice our sexuality. We'll decide that. We don't want some old God or some ancient book telling us who I can marry or how I should raise my kids. We'll decide that for ourselves. I'll make my own decisions about when to be honest and how to treat people based on the circumstances. I think I make the best God for me. I'll decide all of that for myself while saying, I believe in God. And if you live like that, it's no different at all than how the demons think. 
But the Bible says the demons believe and they shudder, they tremble. So if you say, I believe in God, but have no fear or reverence of God in your life, demons have greater faith than you do. James is saying just believing the right stuff, the stuff that demons and the enemy, Satan believes, does not and will not save you. Then verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is dead, is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous, and for what he did, he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. He wasn't God's friend because he believed the right things. He was called God's friend because he trusted God enough to obey him. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Abraham. Now, God asked Abraham to do something cray-cray. Abraham was old, finally has a son, and then God says, hey, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him to me, sacrifice him to me as an act of worship. Now, that's crazy. And for some of you, it's, it's weird stuff like that, that that causes you to struggle and to wrestle with. I, I don't know if I could believe in a God like that. But here's the reality. God wanted to know, will Abraham really act on what he says he believes? And God, because he's God, is going to provide a rescue, a way out. And so Abraham takes his son, ties him on the altar, raises the knife. You think your dad's bad. And then God says, hold up. You're willing to do what I asked you to do. There's a ram over there. Sacrifice that, not your son. Why would God ask somebody to sacrifice? I don't know. That's crazy. But he did. And Abraham's faith is revealed in that. But, but make no mistake. That, that's crazy. But God is asking you and me to do some crazy stuff every single day. If you're single in a world that is bombarded and so sexualized from every direction, God is asking you to live a pure life, and that's crazy in this world. If you're married, God is asking you to be faithful emotionally, physically, spiritually to one person the rest of your life. And in this world, with all the opportunities and the advertising and everywhere you can turn, even at least in your mind, that's crazy. God is asking us as followers of Christ to forgive people that don't deserve to be forgiven. God asks us to be kind to people, no matter how mean or harsh they are. God asks us to do crazy stuff. If, if you're a Christ follower, I'll prove it, because many of you think this is crazy, not by what you say you believe, but by what you actually do, because you don't. If you're a Christ follower, God asks you and me every single time we get paid to bring the first 10% to the local church as an act of faith and obedience. Now, some of you, you think that's crazy. I know you think that's crazy, because you don't do it. Abraham believed in God. But when it, it was when he followed through on what he believed with obedience that the Bible says he was considered righteous by God. He was not considered righteous because of what he believed. He was considered righteous because he acted on what he said he believed. Yeah, but that's Abraham. I mean, he's a giant in the faith. That, that's Abraham. I, I don't measure up to Abraham, the father of a nation. I, I'm not anywhere close to that. I think God knew we might think that. So then James says, okay, let's talk about a prostitute. 
In the same way, verse 25, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? She protected and hid God's people, risking her own life and her own family. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith is not faith at all if it's simply something you believe with your mind that has no impact on your life. For faith to be authentic and authenticated, obedience to God is essential. It's not what you say you believe with your mouth. Talk is cheap. It's what you demonstrate you believe with your life. The lordship of Jesus over your life so you obey him. James, the half-brother of Jesus, pastoring and leading the church in Jerusalem, writing to Jewish Christians who'd been scattered because of persecution, the words we just read. He's saying, hey, you, you come from a religious system where you have to fulfill over 600 laws to be okay with God. You have to offer sacrifices. You have to, you have to keep the rules. And he's saying, Yes, faith in God is what saves you, but if you, if you actually have faith in God, it's going to make a difference in your life. The problem is, many people have accepted a belief, but they don't act on what they say they believe, which means they don't really believe it. Some of you might think, I said a prayer. I said a prayer, so I'm good. I remember the day. I said, Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. I give my life to you. Thank you for loving me. I, I said that prayer. Authentically saying that prayer is not just a moment that happens and passes and you continue to do the same things, think the same things, live the same way. Authentically saying that prayer means there's a shift in momentum in my life and that prayer starts a process. Yes, it invites Jesus to come into my life. I'm saved by faith. But authentic faith creates a radical transformation in my life that is going to become evidence to me and to those who know me the best, and it's going to become obvious, and there would be enough evidence to convict me, not because I am perfect, but because I'm different, not because I now do everything right, but because there are some propensities that I used to have that aren't there anymore, and there's some things I wrestle with, but at least I'm wrestling, and there's some things that used to be a certain way, and now I'm kinder, now I'm sweeter, now I'm more forgiving. Not every time, but the default position of my life has shifted from I, I was like this, and now I tend to be more like this, more like Jesus. James is saying it's, it's not that you can work for your salvation. It's just that if you've been saved, you're going to work. An authentic, real faith in God produces in your life and mine a change that should be evident to you and those who know you the best. There should be some day-to-day -day evidence that you are a follower of Jesus. See, often what we do is we take our idea of Jesus and we, we force that into what Scripture says instead of allowing Scripture to change our thoughts and opinions about who God is and to speak to us. We take this pre preconceived idea of Jesus and we lay it up against Scripture and we, we interpret Scripture based on what we think about Jesus rather than letting what we think about Jesus come from what Scripture teaches. We put him in this, in this box. I'm, I'm about to break your box. Because it needs to be broken because it's not real. Matthew chapter 7. The words of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus said, there's one way to connect to God, a God who invites us to call him Father. And that's through having faith in Christ and what he did for me. The kind of faith that's not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. Doesn't change my life in any way today. I believe Abraham Lincoln did some great stuff. Doesn't change our lives any way today. That was a long time ago. There are a lot of people we believe in that we have a knowledge of, but it doesn't really impact our lives in any tangible way today. And Jesus said, there's this broad, broad road that leads to destruction. And part of that destruction may be, I believe in God. But that's all you got. Then he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, what they do, their actions. You will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying over and over again, what you do, how you live out your faith, what, what you say you believe and how it's fleshed out in your life actually matters. I'm not a fearful person. Now, there are some things I'm afraid of. Snakes, you can have them. Every now and then people are like, no, 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 that's a good snake. Don't kill it. Every snake deserves to die. Poisonous, not poisonous. I don't care. Big, small, I don't care. I hate snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. I, I, I do have that fear. I grew up hearing over and over again the story my dad would tell about how when he was 14 years old, his mother and little sister were killed in a car wreck. It created inside me a fear. And I still battle with this today because year after year after year after year growing up, I heard this story. I was familiar with the story. I knew this story. I'd hear it all the time. And it created this thing inside me. Angie and I have four kids, and especially earlier when they were younger in life, man, helicopter parent, because something bad might happen. There was a fear created by a real-life experience. not a fearful person, but I have some fears. We all do. As a pastor, the next three verses are my greatest fear. That someone could attend C3 and say, C3 is my church. I sing the songs, or I listen to people sing the songs. I listen to the messages. And then that person to step into eternity and verse 21, words of Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Four times, four times, 
people who know about God but don't authentically know him call him Lord in those verses. Four times they knew what to call him. They had an intellectual knowledge. They believed in him. But never did anything personally, internally with what they said they believed. If your faith hasn't changed your life, if your faith isn't changing your life, you only have the faith of a demon. If your faith doesn't cause you to struggle with some of your habits, if your faith doesn't cause you to confront some of your attitudes because you feel convicted by the Spirit of God, if your faith does not cause you in your thoughts and in your actions to process, man, I'm not where I should be and I need God's help in this area. I need to make some changes in this area. If your faith does not produce some difficult decisions and take you to uncomfortable places where you're stretched to trust God financially, relationally, sexually, if those areas of your life aren't being changed and brought in line with what Scripture teaches, then you don't, you don't have anything more than the faith of a demon. Would there be, if we could put you on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you're a follower of Jesus? Not because of what you say you believe, but because of how you live what you say you believe. Let's just self-diagnose for a second. Let's just take maybe, maybe one area. Jesus in Scripture calls the church his bride. The church was God's idea. Anything negative you think about church, anything negative I think about church, any bad experiences we've had with church, that's people messing up. We don't often, even in church, represent a perfect God in a great way. But when you think about church, God's idea of church and all that church is supposed to be, and you think about as followers of Christ what Scripture teaches, the first 10% of my income comes to the local church. Do you spend more time doing spiritual gymnastics on why you don't think you believe that or bringing up excuses about why you can't? Or does, does what you believe cause you to obey? Serving through church. The Bible says that every single person that's a follower of Christ has been given gifts by God to be a part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. The body of Christ on earth is the church. It's the hope of the world. So serving through the local church praying for the church, inviting people. This is too good to keep to ourselves. If you can really know God in a personal way and people that don't know God personally are going to spend eternity separated forever from him and people are walking through a kind of hell even right now in life, wouldn't that mean you and I should be inviting people to know Jesus or at least inviting people to come and check out church? So here's, here's you're, you're on trial. If everybody that's a part of C3 Tithed like you, served like you, prayed like you, and invited like you. What kind of church would we have? Would we even exist? What James is saying, this is for the people who do Jesus one hour a week. And sit in a seat. But your contribution is not felt by the church at all. And if you left, we'd miss you personally. But we wouldn't miss anything about what you did. We wouldn't skip a beat because you don't do jack. This is the people that say, I believe in God. But it's not evidenced in your life at all. 
And that's just one area. That's church. We didn't even get to marriage and how you treat your spouse or parenting and how you raise your kids or how you function around people on your block. We, we didn't even get to all that. If you actually know Jesus, how in the world could you say, I believe in God and I'm a part of the church, but you don't give, you don't serve, you don't invite, you don't. If that's where you are, honestly, you're wasting your time. Don't even show up. Like if all you have is in here and it does not translate to your life in any way, are you, are you kidding me? You're fooling yourself. That's why it says, you're foolish. I, I didn't say that. I didn't wake up this morning and think, I'm going to go see how I can piss a bunch of people off today. I'm going to call them foolish. That's, that's not my word. It's God. Jesus said it. And some of you are more upset right now that I use the word pissed off than your own lack of following through on what you say you believe. Thank you, all 12 of you. That's awesome. So self-diagnose. It's not complicated. You don't need a degree for this. Do you believe only here? Or do you also believe here in a way that it's changing you? It's shaping you. It's informing your decisions. Oh, I just, I'm so busy, you know, you don't understand, I'm just so busy. You know what's fascinating to me? We don't have a single person that serves through the life of C3 that's like, I'm not busy, I don't have jack to do, I sit around 12 hours a day bored, I'm so glad you give me something to do. Nobody! Did you know every single person that serves, crazy busy? Busy, all busy does is reveal what my priorities really are. The busier I am, the more it's revealed what's important to me. So is Jesus... And the only thing on earth he loves so much that he calls his bride a priority to you beyond what you say you believe. Is it revealed in your life? Self-diagnose. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, there's some verses we come across that are challenging and some are awkward. and yet so revealing at the same time. God, I pray for every single person in this room. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today. And the Holy Spirit of God over the last few moments has kind of spoken to your heart in a voice that's much louder and much more important than mine. And maybe you've kind of come to terms with the reality that you believe a lot of the right stuff, but that's all you've got. If a prayer that you prayed did not begin a process of changing your life, it was empty words and meant nothing. James, the half-brother of Jesus, really the Holy Spirit through him calls it dead faith. Maybe some of you, what you need to do is authentically Give your life to Jesus, understanding I want you to forgive my sin and come live in my life and grow my faith. And, and I'm going to obey as best I can what I know your word teaches. I'm, I'm surrendering my life. You're going to be God and, and in control, not me. Some of you, you prayed a prayer, but it wasn't that prayer. And today you need to give your life to Jesus.
What an incredible opportunity. And think about this. Before time began, a God who loves you so much that he invites you to call him Father knew you'd be here today and knew what he wanted to say to your heart and life. This is an opportunity to begin an authentic relationship with Jesus. If you'd like to do that, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray this prayer out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. If that's where you are, man, just, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and forgive my sin. As best I know how, I give my life to you. I invite you to be the Lord of my life, not me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.